0: Hi, and welcome back to OA on Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Ashley Lockin, taking over this week for Cayenne Isaacson. This week, it's 3-2-1-Go with Cosmo Macero, which also includes an interview with President of Congress Wealth Management, Paul Lonergan. Then we have an interview with Cindy Paisner from RR Auction. And in two minutes with Tom, Tom talks about Trump's rollbacks on federal protections around the environment. First up, 3-2-1-Go.
1: Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA on Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, Violent video games may not be the root cause of mass shootings and other gun crimes, but do they serve as a passive marketing vehicle for gun makers? We'll discuss. And we'll talk to Cindy Paisner of RR Auction about a September 21st rarities auction and appraisal event at the Omni Parker House here in Boston. The collectibles and rare items range widely from an American flag that was flown on the moon to a shotgun used by Bonnie and Clyde in a famous Missouri gunfight. Finally, you think using that paper straw means you're living a more sustainable lifestyle? Well, think again. Chances are you're just feeling better about yourself, even though you're still engaging in the same old consumption-oriented habits. We'll explain. Joining me here on 3 2, one go is Ashley Larkin.
0: Hey, Cosmo.
1: This week's substitute voice of OA on Air. How are you doing, Ashley? I'm
0: doing very well. I'm no Kyan Isaacson, but I will do my absolute best. You're
1: doing double duty, the producer and the voice. Uh,
0: You know, I'm a woman of many talents. There
1: you go. All right, let's get to it.
0: All right, Ashley, first off,
1: uh, the existence of any link between Gun violence, mass shootings in America, and violent video games, particularly shooting games, has been debated for years Mm -hmm. in America and elsewhere. There is a a reasonable body of evidence that uh, uh, disproves a direct causal link, a direct cause and effect, heavy exposure to violent video games and shooting games leads certain people into violent behavior. Some good evidence on that, but we're learning a couple of pieces this week. We're interested in from the Atlantic. We're learning um, that there has been a traditional um, sort of quiet marketing strategy with gun makers and uh, and the use and presence of the of their weapons in these games. Uh, and I and I wonder if you think well, that's kind of the same thing, um, even though there may not be a, a particular link between the game itself and violence
0: yeah um i did read that these game companies are trying to sort of dissociate themselves from the gun companies by not using um the trademarks or the licensing of the specific guns where whereas back in um maybe like the early 2000s they actually did use to use the actual like trademark and licensing of gun from gun companies um but i think either way you're shooting people in a game whether it's real or not i think it's still promoting violence yeah um but on the other hand my brother he's been playing these sort of video games since he was like four years old yep and honestly i talk to him all the time about it he has no desire to even own a gun sure so i think it really just depends on the person and how what your personality is and it's a conversation you need to have with your children
1: that's a great point, and you're absolutely right. And I've got kids who play video yeah. games regularly, I'm including sure. Fortnite, which you know, it, it, Fortnite sort of cartoonizes violence, which I think can be dangerous. Yeah. Um, what I find mildly alarming, uh, you know, is that my my my, um, my two sons, my younger one, both of them who play played that that and other games, they are they're becoming schooled. And educated not in a bad way in, in a little bit of not so much gun culture but they're familiar with weaponry uh, in a way that most kids aren't unless unless um uh training with guns and learning how to shoot is part of your family culture you right know, and, and it isn't really part of our part of ours um, so they know about you know a browning 440 or this type of uh, smith and wesson or that type of shotgun because they're using it in these games but as you allude to if I said, hey, you want to go to the shooting range? He'd be like, what? No. Absolutely not. It's, it's a... It's a it's, they step outside of reality into the, mm-hmm. in, in this, and but they're learning about different types of weapons and even the brands. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what, what this piece is about. It's, it's essentially saying, there's definitely a link between guns, gun companies, and video games. Right. So what do we do about that?
0: Exactly. And so. do you have those conversations with your kids? Do you say listen, like, this is just a game, this is not real life, like, you should not be, you know... You
1: know I really do, and I and I tell them, I, I, I say, you know, in real life, there is nothing more frightening than a situation involving a firearm, whether right. it's in war, whether it's in self-defense, whether it's in the middle of some horrible incident. And people who understand firearms, and, and I do, I, because years ago, I... I, I you know, uh, as a hobby, would sometimes go shooting. I, I haven't done that in many years. I don't have guns in my home, but I, I try to educate them and say, look, you know, firing a weapon and, and understanding how it is literally 95 to 99 percent understanding safety precautions and how a weapon operates. And really has nothing to do with the glorious, uh, with the, uh, uh, you know, the stuff that's glorified in movies and video games and mm-hmm. such. Yeah. And I, and I hope that they understand those lessons, and I think that they do.
0: That's good. Um, well, think about these kids without that sort of parenting. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. What 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 do they know? All they yeah. know is that they're playing this game, yeah. they're shooting down people, and they're winning without yeah. any repercussions. Yeah.
1: Again, another great point. Fantasy violence is, is just that, and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's a... Uh, it's a lesson that needs to be taught. But this is pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, and gaming culture in America is so prevalent and so popular and successful in terms of a marketing vehicle that if there's an opportunity to market a product or market a, c- a category of products through gaming, uh, companies are going to take advantage of it. Absolutely. All right, Ashley, thanks. All right, up next we're talking to Paul Lonergan, president of Congress Wealth Management based here in Boston. Uh, hey, Paul, thanks for joining us here on OA On Air.
2: Thanks for having me, Cosmo. I
1: want to talk to you about some expansion your company has been doing. You're a wealth manager uh, based here in Boston, and you've developed um, a, a presence recently through uh, um, a- acquisition on the West Coast uh, specifically um getting your company more into the asset management business in sports and entertainment. You added a couple of key figures. Uh, I'd love to have you talk about that a little bit.
2: Sure. On July 15th, we added uh, three people, uh, Gerald Graves, Chris Dudley, and Sarah Pierce. Uh, They had a practice that was almost exclusively athletes and entertainers, and they really have a unique insight into what type of challenges those folks have. And uh, They take an educational approach and try to show people about the benefits of budgeting and, and managing your money prudently and realizing that it doesn't just necessarily last forever unless you take good care of it.
1: Now, is, is this a new feature of your practice? Certainly, it, it, uh, being positioned now on the West Coast is going to give you more access to those types of clients. But, but but is it an area you've been involved in at all?
2: To a lesser degree, it was an area we wanted to expand in. Okay. And if you're going to expand in it, you need to be on the West Coast. That's really sort of where the nexus is.
1: Yeah. What's 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 the typical client, uh, what has the typical client been for Congress Wealth Management? Certainly, I know generally uh, with a firm like yours, you're talking about a higher net worth or high net worth individuals, but is there a particular profile, um, uh, industry sector, or or makeup
2: of, uh, of your clients? It, it's a great question. It, we really have people all walks of life, um, and I think the thing that's consistent across the client base is they don't want to go back. They've made their money. They've created their wealth and so they want it to be managed and uh, efficiently grown.
1: Got it, got it. We're, ta- we're talking to Paul Lonergan, president of Congress Wealth Management. Paul, you and I were speaking about this on the phone a couple of weeks ago, and I was joking that uh, um, it, that there, there's an HBO television show that I watched that sort of reminded <laughs> me of, of what you're doing here and in getting into that business, You know that show, that show Ballers. Uh, I, I wonder if the industry... Uh, is is representative in any way of what that show is like?
2: Uh, it's an entertaining <laughs> show. I watch it too, Cosmo, but probably not typical of the way we operate. Uh, but it is a little bit of the wild west in some degree. Uh, you've got agents, and you have business managers, and you have everyone tugging at these folks as they're just trying to make their living and focus on their craft, be it sports, music, whatever it may be.
1: Yeah, uh, you mentioned also, and I think it's important, and and, and you and you. Um, I've learned a little bit about about how the different leagues offer these programs, and maybe there's a partnership with firms like yours or not, but education, right? You've got young athletes, for instance, who all of a sudden have access to to a large uh, pool of assets, a lot of capital coming in, a, a, a big salary, a bonus, whatever it may be. And it's probably very easy for them to make mistakes. Um, so so it sounds like education is going to be really important to that client base.
2: It's absolutely critical. And actually, we're working on a program with Major League Baseball where we would be able to provide education to the teams, and in particular to the younger players, because their focus for a 22-year-old for the past 10 years is to get to the big leagues. Their focus necessarily isn't on finances. And when they get there... You know the dispersion between what the rookie makes and what the guy like a Mike Trout makes is really dramatic. Sure, but it can happen quickly, and yeah. you got to be ready.
1: All right, Paul Long, and thanks so much for joining us in OA on air. Congratulations on this exciting news, and and good luck with that uh, with that venture and that expansion on the West Coast. Thanks, Cosmo. Okay, Ashley, um, Ann Lowry also writes, The Atlantic is a piece this week, The Case Against Paper Straws. Now, this is a big debate, big discussion nationwide. Um, there is a, a, a systematic movement to eliminate certain single-use items, products, plastic bags, plastic bottles, now plastic straws, uh, and and a lot of people are excited about, oh, well, there's an easy... Solution because the, the solutions aren't so easy for plastic bags and bottles and such because of the way they're used. But there's an easy solution for plastic straws mm-hmm. just use a paper straw. Yeah. Right? Um, and Ann Lowry points out that, yeah, that's okay, except all you're really doing is replacing what's probably the most insignificant piece of your otherwise unsustainable behavior. That 24-ounce Starbucks latte, you know, that you're consuming and that's in a big plastic cup. Or just the idea that you're not really changing your behavior. You're just Mm -hmm. swapping out this little piece of it, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know. And and, and, and just because you're deciding to use a paper straw doesn't mean your carbon footprint is in any way going to be reduced.
0: Right. It's just a cheap dollar store Band-Aid on a much larger issue.
1: Yeah. I think it is. And, and, and I, I guess you can consider it a victory if more people are using paper straws. It, but yeah. um, the, the point she makes is a little bit of a moral one. It's all you're really doing is giving yourself a license to just. To, do,
0: be, to behave badly. To behave badly. Or, yeah. or, or behave
1: the, badly. To behave as the consumer that you are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that that's. And. and, and and from an environmental perspective, maybe that's badly, but that's exactly what her point is. Right now, I get a bigger, okay. I get a bigger beef with straws myself. And by the way, the uh, recently, tried, I don't. Well, my bigger point is, I don't really use straws. I don't okay. really think straws are for grown-ups. I think they're for kids. Okay, it's kind All of a right. thing. It's kind of a thing, you know. All right, um, it, with some exceptions. <laughs> I mean, you know, I you go through the drive-through. You know, you, you're drinking out of a straw. But, but I see people just drinking every beverage with a straw. I'm like, what are you, seven years old? Okay. You know, I drink, see it. drink out of the cup, drink out of the glass. Mm-hmm. But I have tried a paper straw recently, just because. And I have to say, it is an inferior drinking experience. It
3: absolutely
0: is. It disintegrates in your mouth. As soon it as disintegrates. You take one sip.
1: You've got to you've got to generate tremendous it's it, more suction, right? Right. Um, just to get something out of it. For some reason, the, the, I guess the hole has to be narrower because the structure of the straw would collapse if the hole was too wide.
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, but it's it's an it's an inferior experience. It is, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Plastic plastic straws are really really bad. Like, did you see the video that was trending maybe like a couple of years ago? of the turtle they pulled out of the water that had a straw stuck, like, in his nose. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... They clog waterways. And then all of a sudden, everyone was like, I'm not using straws, blah, blah, blah. And it's so funny, because I used to work at Starbucks, and this was around the same time, and they decided that they wanted to start getting rid of straws, but instead, they replaced the straws with this thicker sort of plastic sippy cup that has twice the amount of plastic that an actual plastic straw has. Yeah. So you're...
1: How, 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 how did that solve the problem? It, if that's... Yeah.
0: It doesn't. It doesn't. It, yeah. it doesn't. So, I don't know. I, I
1: just... <laughs> I, I have a beef... I generally have a beef with with, 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 with with straws just because I don't use them very often or at all. And yeah. I kind of feel like... What are you drinking out of a straw for? If, if I mean, if you're in your car or something and you, and you don't want to spill, okay, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, like to, I like to just drink straight out of the glass.
0: For me, personally, I think um, the best option is just use a reusable cup. A yeah. reusable cup. Absol- you can buy one on Amazon. Or a reusable straw. That Or a reusable straw. You just wash it out and you use it every time. And don't throw it away. Like, You know what I mean? You can keep it for a very long time. My wife
1: uses tons of straws, all reusable. Okay. They've been going in and out of the dishwasher with the silverware for months and months and years. Well,
0: you know what? So, yeah. She's not throwing,
1: throwing away plastic straws, so good for her. That's right. All right, Ashley. Well done. Thank you, Cosmo. It's been, uh, it's been great to uh, doing 321 Go with you this it's week. It's a pleasure. All right. That's going to do it for this week's edition of 321 Go. Our program is recorded in Studio 108 just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room at our building in the heart of Government Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Macero. That's it for
0: 321 Go. Up next, an interview with Cindy Paisner of RR Auction.
1: All right, up next on OA on Air, we're joined by Cindy Paisner, Director of Community Relationships for RR Auction. Cindy's here to talk about an upcoming rarities auction and public appraisal event on September 21st at the Omni Parker House right here in Boston. Cindy, great to have you with with us here on OA on Air. Thank you, Cosmo. It's nice to be here. All right, Cindy, first off, tell us a little bit about RR Auction. I know the company is based right here in Boston.
3: Yes, it is. RR Auction was founded by our CEO, Bob Eaton, in 1976 in his parents' basement on a budget of $1,800. He would send self-addressed stamped envelopes to famous people asking for their signed pictures, and they would return them. Today, we're 25 people, as well as third-party authenticators who are experts in their genre. And with Bob at the helm of acquisitions, he's an expert at putting on auctions whose reach is international.
1: That's amazing. I remember doing that as a kid. I did not start a very successful auction company. <laughs> but I remember doing that as a kid, sending uh, sending letters uh, from an ad- address directory to ball players and being excited when uh, one or two of them would send something back a few weeks later. All right, so you're primarily an online auction house specializing in rare documents, historic collectibles, AmeriCon, and other items. I know you periodically hold uh, several live auction events during the year. Tell me about the one coming up at the Omni.
3: The rarities auction will be at the Omni Parker House on Saturday, September 21st, right here in Boston. From 9.30 to 12.30, we will be appraising (coughs) treasures that are brought to us that day. And from 1.30 to 3.30, we will have 87 lots of very rare, very interesting, and very cool items for the live auction.
1: Oh, wow. Uh, Can you tell me about a couple of them?
3: Sure. Um, One of them is going to be a shotgun recovered from a 1933 shootout between Lawman and Joplin, Missouri. Uh, with Bonnie and Clyde. Get, get out. Yeah, absolutely. A
1: Bonnie and Clyde shotgun.
3: Absolutely. That's In unbelievable. fact, our executive vice president of public relations, Bobby Livingston, is actually going out to Missouri um, for a press event soon.
1: Wow, that's terrific. What else? I know there's a Ted Williams contract.
3: Yeah, we have Ted Williams' final Red Sox contract from uh, 1960.
1: Wow, that's great. All right, Cindy, for all these different items, you got to imagine it's not just the same type of collector bidding on all this stuff, right? Each item, each category probably has its own very unique group of collectors.
3: That's an interesting question. There's no singular profile of any collector. Each collector is unique. Some people collect one particular genre, others collect a variety of things that interest them. In fact, I was with Bob Eaton just last month when we flew south to a collector's home. He lives in a 15,000-square-foot home and had multiple rooms, each dedicated to a different collection, and each was vast.
1: Wow. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's really interesting. All right, now I know that um, Bob and Bobby both uh, have been successful in acquiring different items over the years uh, tied to the NASA space program. Uh, I think you've got a, a, an Apollo 11 lunar-flown American flag. Is that like a one-of-a-kind item?
3: It's actually not. The lunar flags are not one of a kind. There were several. However, what makes this one unique is that it's signed by Neil Armstrong, an Apollo 11 moonwalker, Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, I've heard of him. (laughs) <laughs> Buzz Aldrin, also an Apollo 11 moonwalker, and astronaut Michael Collins, who remained in the capsule. This particular flag was presented by Buzz Aldrin to a family friend who is, in fact, our consignor.
1: What a completely off-the-hook piece of American history to, 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 to have, to have. Absolutely. Own. That's going to be a, 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 an amazing item uh, at auction.
3: Can I tell you about some of the other things that we're going to have?
1: Yeah, let me just remind the listeners, we're talking to Cindy Paisner of RR Auction, You can learn more at rrauction.com. Yeah, tell me more about some of the items.
3: Well, we're going to have Prince's stage-used guitar from the 2013 Third Eye Girl era. That's estimated to sell at about $50,000 or more. Wow! Yeah, very cool. We also have Al Capone's 1926 mortgage document. And speaking of Bonnie and Clyde, Bonnie Parker's 32-page book of 10 handwritten poems from 1932. She wrote poetry while they were on their cross-country killing spree? (laughs) Absolutely. We also have Steve McQueen's 1963 personally owned and annotated script from The Great Escape. And we even have an archive of seven signed documents of Raoul Wallenberg associated with the rescue of Hungarian Jews in 1944. Wow. There's going to be a lot of things. As I said, 87 lots, and that's just uh, an example of some of the things we're going to have. Yeah.
1: Okay, also September 21st, Cindy, your expert appraisers are going to be on hand to examine and appraise items from the public. It's a little bit of Antiques Roadshow, right? It feels like it. Tell me more about that, and specifically what people ought to
3: think about bringing. Yes, of course. So on Saturday, September 21st, at the historic downtown Omni Parker House here in Boston, we're offering free appraisals of people's treasures. So we say bring your manuscripts, your documents, old comic books, items representing pop culture, music memorabilia, Hollywood memorabilia, space artifacts, sports collectibles, and whatever's been your particular interest, and our experts will appraise them free of charge. That's from 9.30 to 12.30. Then, as we've been talking about, at 1.30, we will be going to live auctioning featuring 87 lots of truly rare and remarkable items.
1: I keep thinking of TV shows. First, it was Antiques Roadshow. Now, it's Pawn Stars, right? I keep, between the signatures and other stuff, I, I, I'm thinking about that show. Absolutely.
3: Rick Harrison is a friend of ours. In you fact, know. he was recently in Boston, and we met with him.
1: That's terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine someone like Bob, with his expertise, is going to move in the same circles as Rick Harrison.
3: Well, stay tuned, stay tuned. You may see Bobby Livingston on Pawn Stars someday.
1: Now your founder and CEO, Bob Eaton, um, he's the founder of the company. He's also one of the most experienced and skilled handwriting experts in the industry, right?
3: Yeah, Bob loves looking at rare documents and manuscripts and he absolutely loves history but Bob's expertise is truly partnering with each and every consigner and putting on auctions, auctions that reach nationally and internationally, and they're all online.
1: That's great. All right, let's remind our listeners here on OA on Air about the details of this event. RR Auctions Remarkable Rarities Event's going to take place on Saturday, September 21st at the historic Omni Parker House. Bring your treasures for free appraisal by experts on hand from 9.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., the auction runs, the live auction, from 1.30 to 3.30 and will feature the uh, items that Cindy's been talking about and a lot more Um I'm going to guess, Cindy, you're expecting a pretty good turnout for this thing.
3: Uh, We anticipate quite a large turnout for this amazing event, and we're excited to meet new and old friends again Saturday, September 21st at the historic Omni Parker House right here on School Street in Boston. So I encourage everybody, bring your friends, your family, your treasures, your enthusiasm, and I will look forward to welcoming everyone there.
1: All right, great. We've been talking to Cindy Paisner of RR Auction. That's rrauction.com on OA on Air. Cindy.
3: Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you for having me, Cosmo.
0: Thanks to Cindy Paisner for joining us. And now, Two Minutes with Tom. Hey, Tom.
4: Two Minutes with Ashley.
0: Two Minutes with Ashley. It yeah. is both an honor and a privilege to be here with you.
4: You're sitting in for Cayenne. I am. i nice I'm, to you here.
0: Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here with you. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about the environment. Um, So as you know, President Trump has made rolling back federal protections, particularly around the environment and conservation, a priority. For example, he's loosened offshore drilling rules. He's also been suppressing scientific input around climate change. And most recently, he announced changes that would weaken the Endangered Species Act. So you served for a really long time on the board of International Fund for Animal Welfare and you run a public affairs firm now. What advice would you be giving to conservation and environmental organizations today and what should they be doing?
4: Well, uh, first of all, the impacts of those rollbacks are nothing short of disastrous, to be yeah. very honest with you. Whether we're talking about rollbacks on auto emissions, where you have uh, you know, the, under the Obama administration an opportunity to have the four major automobile makers uh, make sure that their engines were more efficient so that they'd be l- putting out less carbon fuels into the atmosphere. Uh, as he rolls back on that, the president is basically saying uh, to the automakers, I'm going to make it easier for you to produce an engine that is, is far less restrictive than it was under the Obama edict, Great. which is a wrong thing to do. But in the Trump administration, they're, they're naysayers as far as the global uh, global air and global uh, warming concerns are, are involved, um, which is foolhardy and it's anti-science and it's simply crazy. Uh, even the four automakers went to the White House thinking, pr- the Trump administration thinking that they were doing them a favor, mm-hmm. recoiled, pushed back and said, we're not gonna follow those rules. We're gonna follow the rules put forth by the Obama administration, giving the Trump administration a real setback, number one. yeah. On the animal species issue, um, it's not so very long ago that we remember prior to the, ni- the 2016 election, two of Donald's sons off in Africa on a hunting journey, killing, uh, ki- killing elephants. Um, it, was, it was a vivid scene. And you mentioned the fact that uh, I was on the International Fund for Animal Welfare and yes. was on that board for 18 years. Uh, because what we wanted to do was make sure that, that animals, especially those going into extinction, we're going to be preserved for the world order, and the and 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 the global scheme of things. Number one, it was for the ecology. We also protected elephants in the wild, on being slaughtered and and tusks removed. We did that with rhinoceros, rhinos, and uh, uh, in, in, in the wild as well. Um, and, and it was because we don't want these animal species to go into extinction. We want them to be preserved. Um, you know, as they should be, and as they should be. Of course, they should be. Again. It's for the, the, the natural balance of things, if you will. Okay. To yeah. roll back those, those, um, those, those uh, edicts from the Obama administration are just foolhardy. It's silly, and it's out of order from a worldly perspective. Um, what would I tell the environmentalists? I'd say, look, I know you understand these issues, but the American public doesn't understand them. Hmm. Do as much as you can to communicate through social and national traditional media make sure that the word gets out as to what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. As far as the Trump administration is concerned, I would land very hard on the on the left of center members of both parties, Democrat and, and Republican, to make sure that they were paying attention to what the Trump administration is attempting to do in both of these situations.
0: Um, another question for you. What do you think the role of the states in municipalities are to address the federal rollbacks?
4: um uh, it's 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 quite interesting, especially in the in the suit filed by the state of California mm-hmm. uh, on the rollback of auto emissions uh, and those policies by the Trump administration. They've been challenged by the state of California and the federal court. Uh, environmentalists should get behind that if they haven't already to make sure that they're friends of the court in joining that suit in California to make sure that everything that can be done legally is is going to be done
0: absolutely. Well, thank you, Tom. Thank you so much. You're
4: very kind. Thanks for sitting in for, for Cayenne. Of course. Ashley, with you. will be, <laughs> be I hope you're back. Thanks. Thank you. Yep.
0: That's it for this week's episode of OA On Air. Don't forget to subscribe. It could be Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite listening platform may be. You can also check out OA on Air on our own O'Neill & Associates website. Talk to you next week.